Hello and welcome to a new episode of the StatCast with your co-hosts Harrison Friedman and Sam Greenman. And we have a very special guest here today, here to talk about Game 1 of the NBA Finals and really just the NBA Finals itself. We're going to have Arik Taiki on. Arik, say hello. Hi everyone, thank you for having me Harrison and Sam. Alright, so we just witnessed what we were hoping was probably going to be a more competitive game, but in multiple different ways, absolutely was not. And so, what, you'll hear this probably like Friday morning. On the morning of game two, we've just gotten word that uh, Goran Dragic, 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 I think, and Bam Adebayo will both be doubtful for the game, so they probably won't play. Maybe Bam does, I don't know, but I kind of feel like they'll both be back for game three, so maybe let's assume that. But, I don't know, do you guys going in think that it's going to be more of a competitive series or less of a competitive series? I mean, I I thought it was going to be more competitive than it is, but last night showed me that it's just not very competitive. I thought... I thought uh... Last night, yeah, I mean, it was definitely tough. Um, once Drogic got hurt uh, in that second quarter, they really looked uh, defeated and everything. I do think that he'd have a chance to rebound. I personally don't think Drogic will be back. Uh, I think that uh, the uh, fasciitis tear, you know, in his foot, that's a serious injury for a guy who plants and drives a lot. Uh, so I don't see Drogic back. The good news is I do think Nunn can step up off the bench. He looked promising in his, you know, garbage time yesterday. Uh, and I do think Bam will fight through it. So as long as they have Bam um, and hopefully Dunn steps up, I think we might get a little bit more of a competitive series. Um, this is one of the scrappiest teams you could see in the NBA, so I- I'm hopeful. Yeah, it should be a fun series. We're hoping that's a fun series. Let's get into it, but first... Milo Hamilton. Swinging. And welcome back to the StatCast, where we here are ready to talk about Game 1 of the NBA Finals. Sam, what were some of your biggest takeaways from the game? Well, the Heat got off to a surprisingly good start. They were up as many as 13 in the first half. Then the Avalanche came, and they couldn't defend everybody um, with appropriate size, it seemed to me. Uh, they kept putting Solomon Hill on Anthony Davis. Didn't seem to work. I don't think anybody but... Bam is good enough to guard Anthony Davis on the block. And I think anybody's kind of a mismatch for LeBron. I think putting Butler on him is your best bet. Um, But when they throw JaVale McGee out there, uh, there's not really another center that you can put out there uh, besides Bam. Harik, tell me about what you saw, like, about how we definitely saw a change from one point in the first quarter to another point in the first quarter. What exactly did you see there that surprised you? Or maybe confirmed what you had thought going in? So... Going in, I think the biggest question about this Lakers team, the whole playoffs has always been, we know LeBron and AD will get theirs. What's going to happen with the rest of the Lakers, the other Lakers? And I personally was very impressed. Vogel pulled LeBron out. You know, once they were down 23-10, they called timeout and he pulled LeBron. And especially in the finals, it might be easier in game one to do that than later on. But to pull LeBron at that point when you need him and trust his bench, which he did, and they cut it to within four or six points before LeBron came back on the court, those other Lakers stepped up big. KCP, Caruso, Danny Green, they were hitting key threes. And I I mean, they did a great job staying aggressive and cutting into that lead while LeBron got his usual rest. And I was... 
very impressed by Vogel for making that decision and sticking by it. And the other Lakers for really stepping up in a much-needed moment. That was really what fueled the whole turnaround, in my opinion. I've, I I thought it was particularly interesting because usually a LeBron-led team, kind of the first eight minutes or nine minutes when LeBron's in, they kind of build a four-point lead, and then LeBron kind of hopes that he gets his four minutes of rest and the in-between quarter break, and hopefully the lead doesn't shrink that much, but he kind of knows that it will because his teammates have never really been that great beside him in the finals. Yeah, I 100% agree. It's usually, you know, build a lead and then just hope that they don't blow it. Like, he, even if they, he, you know, he comes back in and it's tied, that's his main hope. But he, I mean, very rarely does he get taken out when you're down by that much. And that was a big decision, in my opinion. And they did a great job. One of the biggest parts. Yeah, one thing that's really been impressive, I think, in the last few series of the series, I mean, of this postseason, which really are the only ones who would have seen it, but Rajon Rondo has been probably not the MVP because obviously, like, Davis and LeBron are that important, but outside of him, like, Rondo is the guy holding it all together because you, again, like we said, you take out LeBron, who is basically the point guard for this team. And Rondo comes in, and he's running the floor really well. He's making the right passes. He's spl- He had one terrific pass, I think, cross-court that didn't end up in an actual made shot, but still was to an open guy, and the- he just closed out well enough. But Rondo, like, he brought a whole new element to that offense, and it made it impossible, basically, for the Heat to close in and double on AD and actually hope to get away with it. Because what he was doing is just sort of attacking them that was when Tyler Hero went in and that was a clearly a big mistake as we saw that Tyler Hero ended up with a minus 30 in just the first half alone which is kind of crazy to think about but the Heat, the Lakers doing that well with AD basically running the floor is exactly what the Heat were scared of because coming into this series maybe they had some people who could guard LeBron at the very least they had people who could slow down LeBron and make him pass. And I, although obviously LeBron's a great passer, anytime the ball is out of LeBron's James's hands, that's a win for you. But them not being able to do that, not having any answer for AD when he was at the five, and Rondo being as good as he was and helping that team make a comeback. And obviously, like Arik mentioned, KCP and other guys stepping up and making shots. The Lakers hit, I believe it was 11 out of 13 of their three pointers in the first, 11 out of 17, sorry, of the three pointers in the first half, which is kind of insane. It was just an impressive team performance from the team, which you wouldn't expect to have as many great team performances until recently in this playoff. Yeah, I think what really looking at the box score stood out to me is just the plus minuses. Like if they really don't make sense, like you said, Tyler Hero, worst plus minus by a lot, minus thirty five for the whole game. Kelly Olynyk plus fourteen in his eighteen minutes. Like it was very weird to see. You know, I think maybe it's something that. Coach Eric Spolstra kind of takes with him as like kind of a little nugget like, hey, I can get away with playing Kelly Olenek. Granted, a lot of it was garbage time, but it still showed him that, you know, Kelly Olenek is viable. If I want to sneak sneak in Bam some extra rest, if he does play game two, we can kind of manage his minutes a bit better and, you know, play Olenek a little bit at the five. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I don't. the Lakers have a very interesting way in which they play. I don't know if you call LeBron a big, but they basically play three bigs if you include LeBron because they have AD and then they have often had either JaVale at center or Dwight Howard at center. And in the Rockets series, both JaVale and Dwight got played off the floor and the Lakers learned that easily enough and put AD at five, at which point he became unstoppable. But in this game, 
you sort of saw a lot of that, but I think it was interesting, like when you saw it and when you didn't. I don't know, Arik. What do you have to say about like the Lakers' strategy of using those two big men? So I've been a very big proponent the whole series of how Frank Vogel has altered it because even against the Rockets, you know, where they didn't play as much, he seems very smart about when he is switching to that small ball lineup and when he's switching back. For example, when they got down 23-10 because the Heat were using that small ball lineup with Crowder at the four, um, he switched to Davis at the five and he pulled it out and he went with this smaller ball lineup, faster pace, better three-point shooting type thing. And a lot of people would probably think that he wouldn't go back to it. And when he went back to it in the second half, it was much more successful than in the beginning of the game, whether that was because they were already up or whatnot. um, It's hard to tell, but I think that that lineup gives them, in my opinion, the best advantage because not only, you know, even when they're struggling to shoot the three ball, which obviously they weren't doing in game one, but when they are, Dwight is so big on the offensive glass, even if he's not getting the putbacks a while, even if he's just batting it out, you know, those guys having the three guys, you know, the Celtics, they don't start a guy over six, nine in their lineup, right? Tatum's the tallest at six, eight. And I think Tice is also, I believe listed at six, eight, you know, the Lakers have three guys over six, nine between LeBron uh, Davis and your choice of JaVale or Dwight. So it just gives them a tremendous advantage. Obviously, defensively at times it could be a problem, but I personally, I love it against this matchup because they're making Bam, who's such a big guy, feel smaller, f- having to fight against Davis, LeBron, and Howard in the lane. And I personally think that Bam, I agree with what Sam said earlier, Bam is the best option to guard Davis. But when they're putting Bam on Howard, you know, both times Bam got hurt yesterday, the first time on the ground, and then he came back, you know, and stayed in the game for a few minutes before then leaving with that second, you know, kind of bang up he got. Both times were banging against Dwight Howard in the post. And Dwight Howard's just a big guy. He's got muscles everywhere. Even if he's not, you know, what he once was, he's still a huge guy. And you don't want Bam getting hurt like that. You know, Davis isn't as aggressive of a guy. So, I, you know, coming into this series, I thought that I had expectations from certain guys, LeBron, Davis, even Rondo. You know, we've come to expect certain things. But Dwight Howard, I always thought, was going to be one of the keys to this series. Can he get under the skin of the players? And can he get Bam in foul trouble and bump him around? And, you know, we've really seen that. One thing that, I don't know, I personally noticed is, well, what we're talking about is a lot of stuff that happened after the Lakers started winning by a lot. And I think it's important to notice the personnel at those times because the Lakers go, the Heat go up 23-10. And what you're seeing basically, I know, Arik, you're talking up Dwight Howard, but I think that Dwight Howard was actually like hurting the Lakers by a lot. He had a pretty bad, he was the only Laker to finish with a negative plus minus in the entire game. So what you were basically seeing is what the Heat loved to run is this pick and roll where they have multiple guys who go to the rim, or maybe the big guy ends up being the one who goes to the rim in the pick and roll. So Goran Dragic is seems to be easily be the fastest guy in the team. He has always been terrific at driving, terrific at getting to the rim and splitting guys. And what he was doing with Bam is they sort of had this two-man game where they might do a dribble handoff, they might do a pick and roll. But basically, they were trying to get the Lakers to switch Dwight Howard, who was guarding Bam, onto Goran Dragic, and at which point he would go right to the rack. I mean, they actually were successful in multiple different places. What they did is they basically they would split, so yeah, they split the defense, and you what you see is Dwight Howard sort of like running alongside Goran Dragic, but he can't really do anything. Maybe like when AD is supposed to pick up on him, uh, he also isn't able to because like he's trying to switch too late because you have AD in the post trying to, you know, stop maybe bam getting down low 
because we talked about this earlier, but the reason the the, the the plan that the Lakers had going in was, oh, we want to play big. We don't, at least feeling out, we don't want to have AD on Bam. We want to have Dwight on Bam and AD sort of as a rover. And so like, well, everyone will get funneled down to AD, but it wasn't working. That was the problem because Goran Dragic was getting to the rim. There was one great play where the Heat loved to do this one specific thing where Bam should be giving the ball up in a dribble handoff, but instead he fakes that out and then he takes the ball to the rack against the smaller guy who switched on to him. And he did that once and it worked perfectly. And the Lakers just couldn't rotate over fast enough. But once you take Dwight Howard out of the game, which I think Frank Vogel realized he had to do, and they put AD at center, suddenly... It was a whole new ballgame. Obviously, Bam was out at that point, which made it a little tough. But I think that if Dragic doesn't get hurt, then you don't see any more, basically, of Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee in this series. I think the one of the big things that the Lakers have really liked to do in these playoffs is kind of have some action before uh, any screen comes, whether that's screening the screener, which is very common to see. It gets the defense a step behind or the 25 play where the two guard, usually Danny Green screens for Davis, who then screens run, then like runs a pick and roll with whoever's got the ball. Uh, It just gets the defense a step behind. And with all of their differing sizes, I think that's how the Lakers have been exploiting the mismatches in the series so far, at least. Yeah, I agree. I think the, uh, the heat just have major defensive problems. I mean, like going in, I said that the three guys that the Lakers would have to attack um, would be Hero, Robinson, and Drogic. They're the you know the weaker defenders of the bunch and everything. And last night, I mean, I really saw. Now, granted, LeBron James, I expected it. You know, Jimmy Butler, you know, is probably I agree the best guy to be guarding LeBron. But the problem is LeBron James is the master of you know switches. He will get. He'll stand there and just wait and force a switch onto him. Even if they fight over the screen, he'll keep going at it until they switch. And he went at Hero so much last night. And Drogic before he got hurt, Robinson, and you know he just forces these switches and then it forces that double team and you get the kickouts and that's the problem the heat just really don't have a lot of one-on-one options i was shocked yesterday i know that a lot of people thought that it was going to happen but when they came out and had crowder guarding davis and hoping for that pj tucker like defensive you know style i i I knew it wouldn't work i was very happy with that matchup um and you know i think the heat are really gonna need to make need to make a change and somehow put you know bam with someone on uh davis play that you know double big man game um because right now their defense just looks like uh, you know like they can't guard anyone i mean hero was attacked I, I don't have the exact defensive stats but part of the reason for his negative plus minus is i saw I know for a fact that Rondo, Caruso, Kuzma, and LeBron, I think at least five times I've counted attacking Tyler Hero and scoring. You know, so it's not just, you know, LeBron James. It's guys who aren't necessarily the best at creating their own offense, and everyone was going at Tyler Hero last night. Yeah. Well, I sort of have something where I agree with you and something where I don't. I agree that LeBron was definitely targeting Tyler Hero and also the rest of the Lakers. Like, you see LeBron... I mean, they're tr- they're trying to put Iguodala or Butler on him, and LeBron is almost like ignoring that guy and trying to make the switch happen right away because that's who he wants as his man, and if Tyler Hero is on him, then that's going to force a double. But I sort of disagree with you. It's just because I don't like the way the Heat defended Davis, but not because I don't think that Crowder was a good idea. I think Crowder would have been a fine idea, at least when the Lakers have their big lineup in the game. Because then, what, you're not going to have Dwight Howard out like at the top of the key. No, you're going to have Dwight Howard down low. I would love 
Jay Crowder and Anthony Davis doing it all he can to stop him from getting down low. But at the very least, you have Bam Adebayo waiting for that. And obviously, yeah, Davis can make a, the pass to Dwight Howard, but that's when you try rotating rotating another guy under Dwight because if you're using your zone correctly, then what, do you think Dwight Howard is going to make the right pass? Probably not. No, but think about if you do that in the opposite. I feel like personally... The Lakers are not trying to post up Dwight Howard. I mean, he played 14 minutes yesterday. He had two points, you know, two shot attempts, right? Like, I mean, the yeah, giving gets I mean, the yeah, giving no, no. no, I get what you're saying. But what I'm saying is if you put, like, Bam. Bam is undoubtedly probably a better matchup on Davis, right? Whether or not you want to do that or not, but he would guard Davis better than Crowder. Agree? And then if you put Crowder, who's, you know, might as well just put him on Dwight Howard at that point. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Dwight Howard's more athletic, but, you know, he's scrappy enough to prevent the major, you know, discrepancy offensively between Howard and Davis. You know, why put him on Davis, who's going to pick him apart and stuff, when you could put Bam on Davis and then put Crowder on Howard, or, you know, if they decide to play McGee. I've got two reasons for that. One of them is what we saw is Bam got two quick fouls, even though he was on Dwight, and played very tentatively after that. Like, he wasn't attacking at all. He had a really bad game. And second is because um, Dwight is a lob threat. And if AD is passing to Dwight, like when Crowder is trying to box him out, that's going to be so much easier. Or LeBron is passing him then. That's going to be so much easier than if Bam is guarding Dwight. I kind of like that because, you know, spacing is so key in the NBA nowadays. And so when you play Dwight or JaVale, whichever you end up doing, then you sort of like can have a defender near them, but not necessarily on them. And we've seen the Lakers really utilize that so successfully they've been utilizing like they basically uh crunched down on the space that people are seeing uh and they have do a really good job of executing they're really good at making the rotations at the right time they're really good at making the switches at the right time and honestly what i saw is a lakers team that was locked in on that after the first few minutes and i saw a heat team that after the first few minutes was absolutely abhorrent at actually paying attention on defense. Personally, I think there's a very good reason to maybe try zone a little bit because it, it's clear that the Heat are going to be somewhat undermatched to deal with them in just one-on-one. You're eventually going to have to get to the point where you're going to have to stick some guy on somebody. I guess it would be Dwight Howard. He's the, the I guess, in that starting five that we saw last night, he's the least potent scorer of, of the bunch. But you're eventually going to have to have a mismatch because they just don't have five guys that can guard three in it, big men in essence. Yeah, so I actually I really like that idea. Um, so I personally was shocked that the Heat didn't. Uh, fun fact: the Heat you went to the zone rotation in the half court once the whole game one, um, which was shocking to me, especially considering how frequently they use that against the Celtics. You know, who I would argue are you know at least their starting lineup is you know a better starting uh better at shooting the three ball than the Lakers are um and obviously the Celtics really struggled with that so I was surprised to not see that granted going into the game I was hoping that they would play the zone I personally think that when you got guys with you know who are you know some of the best of all time with LeBron James and Rajon Rondo as floor generals um passing the ball basketball IQ type thing you know I'm not gonna rank them but you know up there with probably you know top 20 you know who knows all time type thing I thought that LeBron and Rondo with their experience you know have played zone enough times over the years to be able to pick a zone like that apart um and you know it'd be harder for LeBron to get the switches you would have more help on Davis I thought that it would be much better even though I figured that LeBron would have 
uh, you know, be able to figure it out. Uh, so I was very shocked to not see the Heat do that. I am hoping to see it more in um, game two, because as I said, they used it one half court possession in game one, and it resulted in a missed Anthony Davis mid-range shot. Um, so I'm Moving forward, I expect to see Spolstra experimenting defensively. They played way too much man, and I think that was quite clear they uh, are not equipped to keep up with the Lakers' offense in a man-to-man. One really bad thing about the man-to-man defense they used, I think they used like a little bit of a hybrid of zone defense, not like a pure zone, but in the sort of sense of they sent guys, most, they mostly sent guys to certain spots, but they would be willing to move. But the issue was is that even when they did that, they kept doubling. And doubling is not the solution against this Lakers offense. Anthony Davis was, I wrote down that he was terrific at passing out of that double team. The reason the Lakers made that comeback from 23-10 to go up by a bunch is because Anthony Davis suddenly started splitting double teams and passing out of them perfectly and making the right moves. And then LeBron James, when they tried doing that on him, which really did not make a lot of sense to me, while you double LeBron James when he is the best passer on the floor by a wide margin, unless like, you count Rondo in there. It just doesn't work in the slightest. And LeBron was always making the right pass. And obviously the Lakers were, again, helped by making their shots. I quoted, like, how much, how many of their shots they made earlier. They actually uh, average about 38% shooting from three when they win games and about 26% shooting from three when they lose games. And this obviously was a game where they made a ton of three-pointers. So it was kind of a given that they were going to win with the reserves playing so well. But so many of those are wide open, too. And the Heat were basically playing themselves into a hole the way that they were playing on defense. No, I agree with what you said. I I don't think the Heat did themselves any favors by continuing to go with the man when it was clear that after the Lakers had that feel-out period, they just kind of started attacking the man, finding the weak spots, especially, you know, I agree. It's maybe one of the dumbest ideas to double LeBron because the point of the double is to force some kind of action, like some kind of pressure. And LeBron is literally in his 17th year. I don't think he's feeling much pressure from a weak double team. Yeah, I completely agree. The man um, was terrible. Um, and to be fair, I, I don't think that they should be double teaming. But the pro- the reason why they double teamed was because of their man. When you play man and LeBron forces a switch, whether it be a, you know, a small guy onto him and he backs him down or a small guy onto Davis, you can't let Davis take, you know, Drogic into the post so obviously you have to double team otherwise it's you know free points and you get the easy pass out so I think the man was almost entirely responsible for their you know defensive collapse um, the only way I can imagine them playing man is if they put their two best guys you know with Butler you know on LeBron and Bam on Davis and they say you know don't switch anything you know, fight under the screen, right? If, if you're settling for LeBron James hitting, you know, quick release threes off a screen, like that, that's, you know, that's probably what the Heat want. You know, LeBron's most likely not going to beat you with that. So you got to tell him, you know, go under the screen, fight through the screen. Do not switch onto LeBron if you're going to play man and no double teaming. Just let them do their best to go one-on-one. But that's why I think that we got to see more zone because right now their man is just not getting it done. Yeah, and one thing, like you mentioned that the Heat should be switching fewer times if they're playing man. What I saw was not only the Heat like switching a lot, but even switching without a pick. If it seemed like, oh, LeBron is moving in one direction and the other guy is moving in the other direction, they didn't follow the guy going in the other direction. They're just like, oh, yeah, I just, I'll just stay here and do the switch, which I get. Like, that was sort of, yeah, it, that was their hybrid zone that wasn't quite working all that much. And so then you see LeBron going on Tyler Hero literally just because he decides to walk over to Tyler Hero's part of the court while he has the ball. 
And so that's not the kind of thing that Miami can be doing. Yeah. There was just no aggression, really, it seemed like. And we know that Jimmy Butler sort of like keeps things in reserve because the other guys are supposed to be the ones that light up the game early, like Dragic, Hero, Robinson, even Bam to a degree. But there was no aggression there. And like we said about the Lakers clamping down, because obviously, like, even if the Lakers are hitting all their shots, and they were seeming to hit literally every single one of their shots, the heat on offense just ran into a brick wall. And so that is sort of the issue. Like, I mean, if you have Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson hitting the kind of threes that they're supposed to, then it's not really that much of an issue if, you know, the Lakers are driving to the rim at will. Obviously, it's an issue if the Lakers are also hitting threes at will. But what happened is that the Lakers just sort of were out muscling them. The Heat weren't able to get open. And the Heat also weren't really able to drive with no Dragic in the game. Like Tyler Hero, we saw him driving in the series against Boston, and he was completely unable to do that in this series and you did mention Kendrick Nunn earlier as being a possibility Kendrick Nunn ends up scoring like 18 points in 20 minutes of basically garbage time to make the score closer than it really should have been and so you question well maybe I don't know maybe he's back from COVID I know he's terrible on defense but maybe he can like get some initiation going on in the pick and roll but I mean you need Bam for that as well and Jimmy Butler is not really a creator so without like a point guard in there to create and have them moving around well enough, then that Lakers team is free as as completely as free as they want to go big. Once Dragic was hurt, the Lakers went big and they never stopped going big and the Heat could do nothing to prevent it because the Lakers were just completely shutting them out. And also, I should also, should also mention, Rick talked about rebounding earlier. The Lakers were incredible at rebounding this game. At one point, the Heat basically had rebounded four out of a potential 35 rebounds on four out of a potential 35 offensive rebounds. And the Lakers had rebounded five out of a potential 20 offensive rebounds. So even though the disparity technically didn't seem that different as far as offensive rebounding, if you realize what's going on with defensive rebounding and that the Lakers are making all of their shots, you realize how badly the, the heat were getting beaten on the glass. And if that's happening then, and you have no second chances, which they really couldn't get against AD, then that was a complete recipe for their, a disaster on offense. What do you think the outlook for the Lakers is? Um, what do you think the outlook for the Lakers is going into game two, knowing, you know, what doing or seeing what they saw, wondering how the Heat might adjust? Do you still go Dwight Howard as the fifth starter? I think you keep Dwight. Um, I know he didn't play well to start the game. Um, you know, if you consider it, they pulled him out when they were on that, you know, 23-10 at that point. So in the first, and I think that was eight minutes into the game. So he played a total of, you know, 14 minutes and he had a plus minus a two. So he was down, you know, minus 13. Yeah, negative two, sorry. So he had a plus minus of, you know, minus 13 in the first eight minutes and they played six more minutes. And, you know, they were good quality six minutes where, you know, they had a plus minus a nine. He definitely was much better in the second stint. But I think you got to play him there um, because, first of all, I think you got to stay true to yourself. Um, if you want to pull him out at a different time, that's fine. But A, Dwight Howard has given, you know, some spark definitely in some games, um, whether it be against the Nuggets, because I think we saw the same type of thing against the Nuggets. You know, there were times where you're like, all right, you got to pull him. You got to go with your small lineup. But then there were times that you're like, Dwight Howard is making a big impact this game. And even with the bad plus minus, you know, between, you know, either roughing up Bam or getting those, you know, early fouls on Bam, you know, that was big. You know, as you mentioned, uh, Harrison, you know, once Bam got in foul trouble, his aggression was gone. So I think you got to keep Dwight Howard in for 
even the intangibles. You know, he's not filling up the stat boxes. You know, his box score, you know, statistics don't look great. But, you know, he does do little things, you know. Plus, also, he, you know, he's almost, you know, a big part of that heart of the team. Like, he brings a lot of energy and a lot of vibes. Whether it's on the bench, he still does that on the bench. But, you know, I think that, you know, he could theoretically give you a big enough spark. And even if he's not giving you a big spark offensively on the glass and stuff like that, you know, he's still going to be doing stuff against Bam. Whether it's defensively actually stopping him or just getting in Bam's head, that's the biggest part. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's because, like, I don't know. I feel like there is sort of like um, a 1.0 version of the Lakers lineup and a 2.0 version of the Lakers lineup. The issue is that the 2.0 is sort of tougher to play all 48 minutes because you really can't pull it off for 48 minutes. And that's the Dwight at the 5 or JaVale at the 5 versus AD at the 5. And so if that 1.0 lineup is working, then you absolutely should keep playing it. And again, most of the reason, the biggest reason that Dwight had a bad plus minus is because of what you saw uh, with Dragic in. And unless Kendrick Nunn and Bam Adebayo really have it working and we didn't get to see any of that because Bam was hurt and didn't get to play with Kendrick Nunn, then I think the Lakers should absolutely go with that 1.0 lineup. Play Dwight, play JaVale. You're just going to absolutely crush Miami on the boards and what you're basically hoping is that Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson can hit shots but also not get absolutely burned on the defensive end I mean Sam Eric what kind of uh changes do you think that Miami can even make after a beatdown like this assuming that we have Bam healthy for game two I mean if you have Bam healthy then I think keeping him out of foul trouble is key but at the same time it's his aggressiveness that wins you either wins you games gets you stops or it you know, causes him to be in foul trouble. So I think figuring out a balance between aggression and defending without fouling is a big key for Bam, especially um, with his injury, uh, keeping him in the game and keeping him effective. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, Bam is going to be one of the biggest parts for this uh, Heat lineup. First of all, um, you know, the Heat need to play bigger, Um, whether that means putting in a bigger guy or just being more aggressive because you know you mentioned the rebounding that was a huge problem so you got in my opinion you know we got to experiment more with uh Myers Leonard and Olenek you know you know definitely Olenek he could stretch the floor and he's a big enough guy you know he may not be a you know a crucial guy that you want to put but I mean even if you put Olenek on Dwight you know you get you know at least some height to prevent the lobs but you know as I said the Lakers aren't really trying to post up Dwight Howard they're going to LeBron they're going to Davis they're running the offense to them too in game the double team so you got to play bigger prevent that rebounding and prevent Dwight from uh, prevent AD from feasting on the inside that's one key the other key is Bam 100% needs to be more aggressive but I want to see all the Heat guys be more aggressive now that Drogic is most likely not going to play game two you know for the 23-10 run they went on you know Drogic Bam and Butler had 20 of the 23 points. So losing Drogic is obviously going to be big. But, you know, that was all Bam and Butler starting the game very aggressive. Bam got in foul trouble. Aggression was gone. Butler had nine points in his first six minutes. And in his other 27 minutes, he had 14 points. Where'd that aggressiveness go? I saw him take LeBron on a drive. I saw him shoot some threes, which he usually doesn't do until crunch time. So I need to see the aggressiveness. And then the third thing, I need to see some defensive adjustments, less double teams, play the zone more, find ways to, you know, limit LeBron and Dwight. But more importantly, if you're uh, LeBron and AD, sorry, I keep saying Dwight, but um, 
if you know people have talked the whole series, uh, the whole playoffs about how LeBron and AD, then them alone should not be enough to beat you. And I, I, I do believe that's true. You know, unless they're both dropping fifty bombs, if you can limit the other Cavs, if you know the other Lakers, if Caruso and Rondo and KCP and Danny Green aren't putting up double digits then you're going to have a good chance of winning this game. you got to play better defense on the other Lakers. Stop double-teaming everyone. I think another thing that needs to change is the three-point shooting. I mean, we haven't mentioned it once, but Duncan Robinson didn't make a single shot, went 0 for 3. Teller Hero went 6 for 18. Um, that's how they beat the Celtics is just by hitting big threes. I, I really think that the three-point shooting needs to be there more than it was in Game 1. The If the Lakers actually start missing shots if like i don't even know if the heat are covering them better but if the shots just sort of stop going in as much and if it's a game that lakers sort of might be more expected to lose because they're only hitting 25 percent of their threes how do they how do the heat take advantage of that what kind of offensive moves do you see from the heat that actually could make the series close let's say in a game two or game three i think being everybody moving and, you know, running screens off ball screens, getting the their shooters open like Robinson and Hero and, you know, Butler taking an isolation when he needs to drug creating something when he needs to Bam getting down low. Admittedly, Bam, not the best post player in the world, but if he gets far enough down low, he knows what to do with the ball. I think it's just doing what they did in the Celtic series that worked for them, which was hit open shots and drive and penetrate and just open up some kind of hole. Eric, what do you think? Um, so yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. The uh the shot making is going to need to be there. Um I think that even if they're sh- shooting better, even if the Lakers are shooting 30%, not what they were shooting in game 1 which was, you know, off the charts, but you know, even if they're shooting better than 25, even if they're shooting, you know, 30% or, you know, a normal percentage, as long as the heat, you know, with Robinson and Hero are hitting shots that they've been hitting. You know, obviously they go cold at times, but if they're hitting shots, I think that's part of the reason why I personally thought that the Heat could win a few games this series. I thought that, you know, again, I don't think that the Heat can keep it up consistently over a stretch of three or four games out of, you know, six or seven. Um, but if they're able to do that, that's what's going to get them the game or two, whether or not the Lakers are cold or not. You know, if they're able to get hot like they do some random games, you know, whether it was that hero 37 point game, you know, you know, to put it into perspective, you know, the way they're going to have to do it is game one of the Portland series really kind of illustrates your example. I think, well, when the Lakers shot five for 32 from deep, right, much worse than 25%. Um, But the, the problem was I had no worries whatsoever. I told everyone, I'm like, we just shot five for 32, but we lost by seven points, right? The heat are, not going to be able to do that. They're going to have to hit the shots well. They can't just rely on it being a close game because what happens is the Lakers' defense is still very legitimate. So the way the Lakers would stay alive in such a game is through defense and just you know hoping that their defense is tight enough to hold their opponents to few enough points that LeBron and Davis can still take over. But to answer your question, I very much think that he can do that with aggression from Bam in the post. We got to see Game Six Celtics Bam, not Game Five Celtics Bam. Right? He was very not aggressive in Game Five, and then he had dropped thirty-two and fourteen. We need aggressive from Bam, and we need big-time three-point. Awesome guys like none guys like hero guys like robinson who you almost expected at this point one thing that i think has been really interesting to watch with the lakers defense this entire playoffs is the way that they defend shooters because obviously that's the million dollar question in the nba right now is how do you stop the other team from getting open shots because it seems like they're able to do that. so the lakers it sort of seems like they're not 
they're sort of leaving shooters like a little bit open, but they're very good at rotating and closing off on them. And then late in the shot clock, if you're still trying to find the open man, if you're still passing the ball around, then that's when they pounce. That's when they trap you and they force you to throw it to a guy who already has another guy rotating, rotating onto him. And that's when they pay the most attention. But I feel like they lull you into some sort of sense of creating a stagnant offense. So, Sam, you mentioned that the Lakers, that the Heat need to be switching, like running around screens a lot more and doing a lot more of this kind of stuff. What the Lakers offer you is sort of like the opportunity of, oh, we can just sort of pass the ball around until someone gets open. But then the clock runs out before that happens. And then by the time you realize that, then the Lakers are trapping you and you run out of time. That's how their defense locks you down. And so the Heat need to really make a conscious effort to be making, setting those screens and running around them as quickly as you can. And the Lakers are not going to make that easy because like they're big lineups. They're, they're a very physical team. They're going to check you. They're going to throw some shoulders or elbows in you. Bam got hurt on Dwight throwing his shoulder right into him and Bam drawing a foul on that. So I'm not sure we even see, I know Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero have made a living made a killing really just slipping around screens and getting open and like taking as little space even as they need. But if there's no motivation for them to do and the Lakers sort of lull you to sleep and they also make it hard to drive by pressing at the point of attack because they know that they're not quite as quick vertically down the middle, then the Lakers are have won every time and they're make, probably making you take a bad shot because you're not seeing the open ones when you have the chance of getting them. I don't know. So that that I definitely saw in the Rockets series, that I definitely saw in the Nuggets series. I wasn't paying as close attention to the Portland series, but I also very much saw that in game one. You need someone who is a true floor general and is making those passes, and the team is all sort of action. Like, it would be like, I don't know, the Steph Curry-Golden State Warriors would be the perfect team to absolutely blitz this Lakers team out at the building. But at time like that they're not sort of suddenly popping out of nowhere we're like oh your final battle you have to face is Steph Curry and a healthy Klay Thompson because the the Heat are all they've that we've got and I don't know if they can really make that much of an impact offensively against this Lakers defense like Rick was saying yeah no you're 100% right Uh, another big thing I think is that now, the Lakers do do a good job playing help defense on drives. I, I agree to that. But one thing that they have struggled with, even so, is sometimes that help defense seems a little suspect, whether it's guys freezing, you know, Davis maybe coming inside to play more help defense and he leaves his guy open and op- winds up in a three. That's why the guys who have really given the Lakers trouble, in my opinion, you know, these series are always those wings who attack, right? Realistically, Danny Green's thought of as a great wing guy, and he's great on the perimeter, but, you know, he could He's old! Yeah, exactly. He, he laterally, he, you know, him and KCP can get blown by at times. So Jamal Murray, CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard, obviously Harden, Westbrook. Obviously, he wasn't shooting well, but I mean, if he had, you know, drove more. But those are know, guards. Those are guards. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Those, those are the keys. Those guys. That's why I thought going into the series, the guys like that on the Heat would be the biggest problem, namely Drogic and Hero. The problem with Robinson is Robinson doesn't drive. He, I think he's shot like four layups this whole playoffs. He won't even drive. You know, he only wants that three ball. So, you know, and losing Drogic, that's part of the huge thing. Drogic drives and kicks so much. He drives into the lane. He's the type of guy who can blow by a Danny Green and a KCP. So, you know, part of what you're saying is you're saying that, you know, that may not be able to happen. You might be right because right now, you know, other than, you know, Butler, you know, 
but you're not really worried as much about Butler's three-point shooting. So really, Hero is the only guy who's got that dual threat of driving and shooting the ball so well. And is he going to be enough? That's where Nunn's going to really need to step up, in my opinion. Can he fill Drogic's shoes by doing that? I think we're also, there's someone we're not talking about, and I'm kind of surprised we haven't talked about him, but Jimmy Butler needs to actually play like the alpha dog superstar that he claims to be. Because there were two plays, again, in the Heat's early run, which I saw, which really impressed me. There was one, so LeBron was guarding Jimmy. Uh, the pick was set, I believe, by Bam, and because Jimmy was, Jimmy basically was trying to get switched on to, dry, to Dwight to drive at him. And he basically succeeded. LeBron tried fighting over the screen, but he wasn't able to. He just wasn't quick enough. Bam was too big. There was too much in the way. And Jimmy had an easy lay into the basket. And then on the very following play, they did switch. So Jimmy Butler, he basically burned Dwight. And as Bam was going down to the hoop, Jimmy just made a nice, quick, easy pass to him. And Bam was able to dunk it and give them two more points. So those are the kind of plays that should be happening. And even if Bam isn't in the game. Jimmy Butler needs to be attacking, and we saw him basically just staying sort of at the very edge of the perimeter, similar to what Harden was doing and being so unsuccessful. I liked what Michael Porter Jr. did on Denver against this Lakers team, and obviously he's going to make a lot of mistakes, but that sort of athleticism is something that only AD and I guess LeBron in some ways actually still have. Maybe Kyle Kuzma, I don't trust his defense all that much, and so... If Jimmy Butler isn't doing stuff like that, then this team is really in trouble because, you know, the Jay Crowder and Andrea Godala, obviously, and Duncan Robinson, like you mentioned, they're not going to be the ones driving to the hole. They're not going to be the ones making athletic plays whatsoever. Jimmy Butler needs to play like a top 10 player in the world instead of just a great closer who doesn't really have much impact in the rest of the game. Yeah, you're 100% right. Uh, you know, I thought going into this, you know, he's got he can't be an 18-point a game scorer like he was in the Celtics series. He's got to be, you know, borderline, you know, 20, 20 25 plus points per game. Um and you know, yes, he got 20 close to it. You're like he got 23 and you, you know, if you just looked at the box score, you're like, "All right, fine, 23 points is pretty good, you know, 61% shooting." Um but the, the problem I said, as I said, he, he hit nine points in the first six minutes. You know, he was on pace for a monster game. And then the aggressiveness was just gone, whether or not he was shocked by the injuries. But, like, he just stopped making plays. You're right. Those two early plays attacking and getting on Dwight. One play he fought, uh, LeBron fought under the screen. Butler bumped into him and sent LeBron backwards and finished the layup. And I'm like, that's aggressiveness. That's what we need to see. And that just disappeared after the first six minutes of the game. And you're right. He needs to be that alpha, especially with, you know, the injuries now. He's got to be the alpha going forward. Yeah. And I think those plays only are able to happen because uh, Dwight was in the game. I think if Dwight isn't in the game, then it's much tougher for Butler to burn Anthony Davis like that. And I also saw LeBron adjusting and just sort of pushing, like I said, Jimmy Butler out to the very edge and trying to not even let let him get a chance. And also Bam wasn't in the game as much. And so if Bam is Bam is the guy who can set the screen on LeBron, and LeBron actually moves a little bit. I don't think someone like Andre Godal or Jay Crowder is going to really uh, make LeBron stop chasing Jimmy quite as easily. I think it's a very similar issue to what the Celtics have been having uh, with Tatum. They We want him to drive as much as we can, as much as he can, because it seems like every time he drives, he scores, but he just settles for these jumpers, and it's so frustrating. I think that's something that everyone almost ends up seeing to doing, especially like these wing guys who 
they might be really good creators. I mean, you see Harden do it. You see LeBron do it. You see Tatum do it. These are all guys who we know are some of the best at driving to the rim in the game, some of the best at rim scores and score the most on their drives per on uh, points uh, per drive. But that's sort of the key to beating these guys. It's forcing LeBron to settle for 18-footers, and the Heat aren't doing that. And forcing Jimmy Butler to settle for 18-footers or pass the ball to someone else. We know he's not that great of a passer which we're seeing more of. And do you think that it ends up being more of a physical thing or is it more of a scheme sort of deal that stops these guys from being able to drive as much as possible? Or maybe they're just scared almost. I doubt Jimmy Butler is afraid of contact. It's I think it's a scheme thing. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's a uh, contact thing. I don't know if it's scheme-based or mental-based because, I mean, I will say, listen, I a little LeBron fan, I hate to see LeBron James hit his first three of the game. I'm not going to lie. It is the most bothersome thing in the world to me because then I'm like, oh, here it comes. He's going to keep shooting them. And I don't have a problem LeBron shooting an open three. But, like, when he has a center on him and he decides to shoot his, you know, look to the side, step back three, and I'm just like, what are you doing? Drive by him. You know, the three ball has changed this game for the good and for the bad. And, you know, Jimmy Butler started two for two from three-point range, I say. And while you do like to see that aggressiveness, you know, he missed his next two. And once he missed his next two, that's when I saw all the aggressiveness go. I think he shot three or four threes in the first quarter and then didn't shoot a three the rest of the game. I know he hit the first two threes that he shot. Uh, I think the third one he shot was in the first quarter as well. So he shot one other three the rest of the game. You know, he stopped shooting the ball after he missed those other threes. And, you know, I that's why I think it's, you know, maybe not even scheme-based, maybe just mentally, because, you know, he did seem like he was able to get his own. And I don't see by any means, unless this is, I guess, partially scheme-based, why he couldn't get a switch onto a more favorable guy. Because I agree, LeBron made some nice, you know, defensive, you know, adjustments on Butler. But, like, there's no reason why Jimmy Butler can't get a switch onto, you know, KCP or Danny Green like LeBron could do onto Tyler Hero, right? Why can't he force that switch and then attack those guys? There is no doubt that that is a complete mismatch for Jimmy Butler. So I think it was just the mental aspect. His aggression just was gone. I think... Yeah, I think you guys are absolutely right about it being a mental aspect. I think the scheme thing was just me thinking, well, if since the Heat are sort of missing some guys, then you can take one guy off of another guy or at least have him and have him cheat and sort of double guard, uh, double team Butler for a little bit of time, even if it's not quite just while you go like through your rotation. And so, yeah, there is that absolute mental block of, oh, if I didn't get to the lane here, if like I saw a few too many elbows, and I just don't know if I can keep putting that energy in time and time again. One interesting thing I saw, which relates to rebounding that we saw earlier, is how the Heat were just really not able to set their transition defense well. And obviously we know that the Lakers feast in transition. They were one of the best transition teams in the league. I think they might have been the best transition team in the league. But the Heat are also supposed to be one of the best Transition defending teams in the league. They force the most turnovers of anyone in the bubble. And if they aren't able to do that, and they're sort of like, they're often, if their offense is becoming stagnant and the Lakers are moving quickly while you personally on offense have been going kind of slow and like moving slowly up the court, then that's suddenly such a change of pace that you can't really recover from. And it's, I mean, you guys can probably know this better than I do, but like, what's the physical aspect like? of after you just weren't moving very much, suddenly running backwards in the other direction, sort of being forced to apply energy immediately after that. Don't you think it like has an adverse effect on a, uh, on a team? 
I mean, yeah, obviously it just standing around and it mean all of the all of your motion gets stopped, you have to start it again. That's why that's why I mean good defense comes from good offense and vice versa. It's because if you're always moving on if you're moving on one end, you're going to be moving on the other end. You know, you're not going to stop. So I think, you know, being active on the offensive end will lead you to have better habits on the defensive end. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, definitely true. And um, another thing is, you know, I would say, make the argument that Anthony Davis might be the best, you know, big man in the league at leaking out. You know, it's weird because, you know, sometimes, you know, Davis doesn't get a ton of rebounds. Like there were times in the Nuggets game, I think one time he didn't get his first rebound until like the third quarter. Um, but like Anthony Davis leaks out so much for those transition fast breaks, for those LeBron full court passes that he gets. And I think that's something that Heat or just any other team who plays the Lakers aren't necessarily prepared for, right? It's one thing if LeBron grabs a rebound or Giannis grabs a rebound and they're pushing down the court. That, fine, you at least expect. But Davis, you know, a big man being the first one down the court because Davis is such a quick guy, that's something that teams, I think, really struggle with, and that's really causing a lot of problems, you know, for that, you know, transition defense type thing. And the other thing that, you know, whether or not they're one of the best of transitions off a of miss, I would easily say the Lakers are the best transition off a of make. Somehow it seems like multiple times, I would say probably they get at least 10 points throughout a, each game game where a team makes a three and then they immediately push it up the court and they're back down the court before the team that just made the shot you know I don't know if that's a matter of laziness or whatnot but um I I think that's one thing that you know teams are really caught off guard you see it on film and you're like all right there's no way they'll beat us back right well on the three-point line we'll come back down the court and we'll be set but you know LeBron immediately after every make he's looking to push the ball and you know that is very tiresome on you yeah, I love just like the strength of these guys like Rondo or Green or Alex Caruso especially just being willing to put that extra grit into it, put that extra like where you just run up the court and set yourself and get ready. The Lakers get into their offense quickly enough and so they're all they are always able to be moving whenever is necessary really. And you always feel like, oh, LeBron's just got a shooter right behind him, or AD has a guy in the corners waiting for him necessary, or, oh, look, there's someone cutting in through the paint. And so you they're basically playing their whole game as if it's a transition game. And if as long as they keep moving and they stay in motion, then the other team is going to be caught off balance the whole time. That's kind of why I feel like the Heat don't really have a stop for AD, because AD, with like some energy behind him with force behind him is impossible to stop unless you have like a seven, two big guy, maybe like Joel Embiid would be able to get on Anthony Davis and like shut him down a little bit. Maybe Giannis would be able to do that, but even bam, like as big as he is, is not really the kind of guy to stop AD with a full head of steam. And like he's leaking out. If Arik said, then what do you think you're going to have? Like some guy swipe at him. They're not going to do anything to stop him. He'll he's so good at moving the ball, moving his hands from side, moving the ball in his hands from side to side and making sure that the ball doesn't get stripped from him or just putting it over his head where no one can really reach it, that he's just an unstoppable force. And I think he is the biggest reason why the heat are going to lose this series because they have no one to stop him. Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, there's only a few guys league. That's probably the biggest problem with ideas. There's some games he doesn't want to bang inside, but he can hit these jump shots and fadeaways and, you know, mid-range fades and even three-pointers, you know. And then there's some games that he's not shooting the three well, so he'll go in the post. And then if neither of those are working, you still got to worry about transition AD with the full head of steam because he could dribble the ball even. 
So you're absolutely right. He's too versatile. And, you know, this is going to sound crazy because, you know, the Heat only had, I believe it was eight turnovers uh, in game one, which is very low. You know, that that's by all means a good job taking care of the basketball. But somehow you have to limit the turnovers even more almost. And you definitely have to be prepped for those pushing on the um, – Made, made baskets. There's no excuse to not be back defensively after a made basket. You know, half your team should already be down the court. There should not, maybe two, four points a game you should be getting off that. You shouldn't have the opportunity to push so much off a made basket. Yeah, and the fact that it's someone also like AD who's also getting a lot of these rebounds, I know we had, I think, a cut in the last few games of the Denver series, AD wasn't rebounding very much and that was an issue. Was not an issue now. There's no one like Nikola Jokic who's fighting with him for those or Mason Plumlee. AD is getting those and he, as well as being a good leaker, he's also a really good passer and really good at setting stuff up and he goes up quickly and everyone goes up quickly and suddenly you have a ton of, then you just have a ton of movement quickly and that team is going to score. And since, you know, they get so many rebounds, Dwight knows to just quickly give the ball to AD, quickly give the ball to LeBron, give the ball to Rondo, and uh, have everyone move out of the way and get stuff done. That, yeah, they score quickly and they score often. And even when, I don't know, I don't love their half-court offense. I assume you guys sort of agree with me. I don't love that half-court offense. It basically is... Well, give the ball to LeBron and hope he gets double teamed or give the ball to AD and hope he gets double teamed. And if not, just like maybe AD posts up a guy. It it doesn't work quite as well if you have a team that has the personnel to stop it. But the issue is that no one really has the personnel to stop, uh, go one-on-one in both LeBron and AD. And the Heat clearly do not. Yeah, I, th- I think the Heat definitely have the advantage when it comes to half-court offense and actually running plays where it seems like the Lakers are kind of a fluid team I think maybe LeBron making it clear that it's kind of like he doesn't want off like a set play to get in get in the way of his quote-unquote genius Eric what do you have to say about that no I appreciate that uh I love hearing that but uh, I completely agree you know whether they have a play drawn up or not it kind of just looks like when LeBron crosses half court he sits there dribbles waits and he's like you come set a screen I want your guy on me uh, or you know point out you and then point to Davis, set a screen on Davis. You know, he's orchestrating the whole thing. It's not a set play, but he still orchestrates it as if it was a play. Just a simple, get a quick switch, and then we'll run the offense, and we'll force the double team. And that's what makes them so hard to guard, you know. I, I truly think that you got two of the top five players in the NBA on the court at the same time, and, you know, at some point you're going to have double team, right? People double team James Harden, you know. You double team almost every single top ten guy in the league at certain points, and now you got two of them you know, on the court, and you have to choose which one to double team. That's why they're just such a potent offense. Because even without a set playbook, you just force a double team. And as we saw from game one, once that double team comes, it's over. You know, you just got to hope the guy hits the open three because there were so many of them. Exactly, yeah. And so it's basically if you don't double team them, then you just pray that they don't hit the shots that they're absolutely going to have the chance to make. And yeah, having LeBron and AD on the same team is a lot like when you had... Steph Curry and Kevin Durant on Golden State. I mean, the difference is that the Golden State also had Clay Thompson and the Lakers don't have quite have a Clay Thompson character, but KCP. Yeah, the KCP is hitting all of his threes. Rondo is hitting all of his threes. When it matters, the Lakers are absolutely hitting every one of their shots and you don't really need to be hot for all of that long in the playoffs because all you have to do is, you know, win the series. And yeah, so even if, I guess, 
the Lakers offense sort of uh, shuts down a little. They're not making the shots that they're supposed to. I feel like they're still going to be able to get to the rim with LeBron, get to the rim with AD, make the make at least some cuts down though. Maybe like LeBron and AD could actually break into that Frank Vogel playbook, which I mean, I am a huge fan of. I think Frank Vogel has outcoached Eric Spolstra, who I have I have talked on this pod before as think he's one of the best coaches in the NBA and finally he's getting the respect that he deserves. But I feel like the Lakers not only have an answer for everything that the Heat might do, they don't even have to sh- show all their cards yet. The only team that they really had to show all that many cards against was Houston. And there was just one card that they showed and it was put AD at the five and maybe a couple extra traps on James Harden late in the shot clock and some nice switchy rotations. So I think this Heat team, man, if, if we're getting into predictions, I think they get swept. I don't disagree. Uh, I, I hate to call a series over after game one, but uh, if Drogic doesn't play... No, I've the Paul Pierce playbook. <laughs> if, well, Paul, according to Paul Pierce, uh, LeBron James isn't in the discussion with Michael Jordan until he wins this championship, then he's uh might be number two, according to Paul Pierce. Uh, well, okay. Paul, Paul Pierce is a GOAT. I mean, uh, he was crowned in game of zones, but... <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. But you know, if if I'm making a pick, if I don't, as I said, I don't think Drogic is coming back. It's a tough injury uh, to fight through. Uh, quarterbacks in the NFL can't even play, and you know they have minimal movement in a pocket. So how is a point guard, you know, who relies on driving and planting and you know shiftiness, got to come back? You know, so if he doesn't come back, I think this is a sweep. I don't think none can do enough. Uh, if he comes back, you know, and only misses a game or two, you know, and is actually able to play well. Maybe the Heat steal one and get hot. Maybe Hero goes off for 30 again. But this this series is not going past five games. Well, we what I think we probably see if Dragic comes back is that he's still a decent facilitator, but his drives aren't anywhere near the same. I think it's just going to rob him of his foot speed. I know he's been dealing with a bit of a foot issue in the bubble. So this is probably just like, just makes it worse. But at some points, the Heat literally just need a facilitator and they'll do just fine if Jimmy Butler is on the floor and playing aggressively. But I don't know. I know, I know I just said I predicted a Heat win in four, but also before this game, we were all saying, well, it's a feel-out game. We don't know what's going to happen. The difference is the injury, I think. The reason which you have to say, oh, it's bigger than a feel-out game is because of the injury. Remember uh, when Golden State went up against Kawhi and Kawhi landed on Zaza's foot and basically the series was over after that point? This sort of feels like the same thing. Obviously, Dragic is not on the same level of Kawhi Leonard, but also the Heat are not as talented as the San Antonio Spurs, so it kind of has a similar effect. And so just the difference between the two runs, because the Heat, as the Celtics unfortunately saw, are good at making that comeback in the second half when necessary. And they had their chance. And Eric, you mentioned the turnovers earlier. It seemed like all the turnovers were at the most inopportune time. And I think it was because of the Lakers clamping down. When the Heat were trying to make their run in the third quarter, when they didn't have Dragic. And I don't know if Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo were in the game at that point because I know they were both hurt over the course of it. But the Heat weren't able to make their comeback because they kept losing the ball and they kept making mistakes and nothing much of it all kept happening. And that's what allowed the Lakers to extend their lead. Seeing that and realizing that that's probably what we're going to be seeing for the rest of the series, not just like a back and forth in between when is LeBron on the floor, when is Dwight on the floor, when is Bam on the floor. It seems like the... Heat minus Dragas are just at least a couple of steps behind the Lakers and not as close as we might have hoped they were from the first quarter. 
Yeah, and one thing that I think is huge about this Lakers team, whether that be because of LeBron's leadership, whether it be because of Vogel's coaching, but I was very impressed yesterday. I know they started blowing the lead a little bit, you know, but it was, you know, pretty much over at that point. But I heard vocally through the thing, LeBron got bleeped out because on a switch in the fourth quarter with like four minutes left, still up 20, LeBron yelled like, that's a bleeping switch, you know. And I, I was very impressed with that because at this point in the game, like you kind of look over and, you know, who cares? But, you know, they were still going hard, you know, and I don't think this is going to be the type of thing. You know, the Heat lost that old that game to Milwaukee, you know, without Giannis and everyone was shocked. But, you know, it was a typical trap game, you know, you underestimated them, you know, stuff like that. I don't think the Lakers are going to do that here. I think Vogel, I think Davis, I think LeBron have all talked very clearly to the team and they are clearly locked in, you know, all because they're missing all these players doesn't mean we fall asleep we do exactly what we did in game two we take them seriously as a potential threat we beat them by 30 if we can we're not just you know easing back and saying this is going to be a joke you have to stay locked in because you don't want to be caught off guard as Jimmy Butler said Jimmy Butler made no excuses for this game he said you know we still by all means you know we saw it now let's respond I'm excited to see how we respond Jimmy Butler is still focused, so the Lakers have to stay focused if they want to complete a sweep. It's about execution. It's about execution. The Lakers absolutely executed their game plan. What they needed to do, they kept doing it throughout the course of the game, and the Heat just could not stick to it. Whether it was because the Lakers threw too much of it at them or because of the injuries, or I don't know what else. Maybe they lost focus. I assume the injuries, but you never really know. But that was the biggest difference in Game 1 and the reason why not only did the Lakers win, but it was not close at all. Uh, yeah, I just I really hope that this series would be competitive and that the Lakers wouldn't win another ring for at least my lifetime. But it looks like that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I looking I don't want to look forward to the future. This is not a podcast talk about free agency, but I or whatever. But we got to assume Anthony Davis is coming back. And but my goodness, do I hope we get uh, Lakers versus Warriors in opening night because I cannot wait to see this Lakers team against the new look Warriors team. With maybe, I don't know, LaMelo Ball or Anthony Edwards at it or something like that. Not to touch too much into that comment, but uh, I was a bit worried about AD's free agency. But seeing the way LeBron has allowed the offense to run through him, you know, make letting him be the leading scorer and everything, get the attention type thing, I think that's been a big part of why AD might come back. And he said a comment the other night, uh, I think it was after the game yesterday or after media today from practice. He said, you know, the way that LeBron James keeps you so zoned in, gets other guys involved, and just plays with so much heart every night out there and is just so focused, that's why I'm... You know, I want to follow this man into the next nine finals. And I'm like, oh, I love to hear that. <laughs> yeah, LeBron has not only, he not only is he clearly the elder statesman for the league and clearly a coach, an extra coach on whatever team he's on, but he still can play at that level. And he's proved that he can play at that level. The windmill dunk that he had that didn't actually count at the end of the, second, the first half was like showing, yeah, I've still got it. I'm as athletic as they come, even at 34, 35 years old. And so. Mm-hmm. I assume we're going to be seeing LeBron for the next five years as maybe he's not the best player in the league. I think Anthony Davis might say is a better player overall, but at the same time, LeBron is not exactly going away and going to shrink away from that. And it's nice to see that LeBron in the finals is just as scary and as, uh, I don't know, as much of a force as we have always remembered. All right. And so works. hopefully we do see some more exciting um, rest of the series. 
the best news that we could get would be that it's a fully healthy series, but obviously it's not going to be quite the same. I wonder, the Heat are now clearly clear underdogs. If they can respond well, then that that's just going to be exciting seeing if they can keep every game, keep any game close, maybe keep every game close. Excited to see how they're able to do that for the rest of this. Arik, it was great to have you on. Thank you, guys. I loved being on. I appreciate it. We'll talk about baseball soon, uh, but it was nice talking about basketball. I cannot see any result other than the Lakers winning in four or five games, so I assume we're not going to have that much new to say on the basketball front, but you never really know what happens in a week. But we'll talk about baseball next week. We'll see how badly our predictions have gone. Excited to see the baseball's version of the bubble. But, yeah, I don't know. We... It's nice seeing the Ashers in the next round. I can say that much, at least. Even as Bally's, our predictions have gone. 